Welcome to the Marketing Science Podcast, the podcast for sales and marketing professionals working within science, engineering, and healthcare. My name is Danny Lazel, your host for season four, and today I am thrilled to be able to share with you a recent interview with Michelle Nichols, president at Launch Team. In this episode, we will be discussing all things brand building, culture, and how you can create an authentic competitive advantage in a changing market. If I may start with a question I had just from listening to your, your presentation. So you mentioned about the controlling of the single relationship and how it's harder now to control that single relationship, usually from the salesperson to to the to the client. So how is important how important is it for companies to to realize that overall and have a plan in place to to control the, or, or manage those communications? Well, it just it isn't a single relationship. It's a many to many. Many customers having many different experiences across many channels. Um, and even prior, could we really manage a single relationship where a customer interacted with one individual who is not a robot and does not behave exactly the same every single day? Um, so it's a it's a necessary and it's a good shift, but it's that many more things to have some consistency around to be specific in your promise of standard of care and engineer for it so that they really will have a brand experience and come to expect and depend on it. Um, even in deep tech sites, we're seeing the majority of that traffic coming from mobile. People are multi-device, multi-channel, the referral is from more sources than ever before. So it's a much more complex journey. Yeah, so I guess in terms of that provision of care, it's, it goes back to the people you hire and having your core values as a company and then hiring people based around those core values. Yeah, the the most important starting point is to commit to empathy, to really getting an understanding of your customer and their needs and then designing for it. Uh, I'm sure we could just talk about this one question for, for the whole half hour. We won't do because we have got a, a lot of others. And I want to ask you the first question we've got from the registrations. And they're asked, they basically asked, as a company, they've always nurtured a real human relationship with their customers. Uh, and this has definitely features as a ben- it's been a benefit to them. Uh, is it prudent for them to include this in their brand building and advertising and social media posts and other areas of their communications? Absolutely. Well, let's take Azo for example, because I've many touch points with this company and we're all familiar with Azo. Um, we've seen them on social. Someone probably writes the post that is not the person you call and speak with, but there is a real type. Um, everybody we work with here is very personable, tells it like it is, is unpretentious. And so the people are building credibility and trust in the company. So yes, definitely. Um, And they're building trust in tiny interactions, tiny transactions. Um, If you and all of your colleagues tell me that you're sending something, emailing something over, I know that based on past experience, that's today. You don't mean sometime maybe. Um, That just seems to be the culture there. Um, And so People want to connect and they're willing to do that more and more in social media. They want to see the people they know um, and learn more about them. 
So you can be very specific as a company in what you hire for, what you reward for, what kind of characteristics that is. And then make great examples of your people. Reward for that by highlighting them, spotlighting them in the newsletter and social media. It really reinforces your promise to the market. Yeah. Just on the, the mini experiences you mentioned, how we, because there are so many, how important is it or how potentially damaging is it how potentially damaging is it if you get those mini experiences wrong so if you haven't got a sort of a coordinated communications channel and something that might seem fairly sort of minor can that be a real damage to your to your brand overall if you get things wrong oh absolutely in the short term you'll see in your sales pipeline trust and rapport is your first process if there isn't trust there you are not moving forward um so you will see opportunities fall out of that. Um, but long-term, you can erode a great customer relationship. Um, if there's a disconnect between sales and service, um, delivery, if you see disconnects in delivering on your promise, your very specific small transactional promises, that's where you lose out. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because now, obviously, there there are so many more opportunities for the the sort of mini experiences. So companies have got to sort of be be on the ball with their with their coordinated communications. And the next question is about they're asking how you can demonstrate brand culture and business values in ways other than a page on the website or marketing taglines, social media posts, etc. Sure. Um, first, I'd say service commitment and expectations. In a lot of the market segments we work in, it is more important to do what you promise than to promise faster. If you say you'll have this in three weeks, that is more compelling than I'm going to get it to you in three days and it turns out to be five days. <laughs> um, it's consistency and delivery. Um, so be very expect specific about your standard of care, capture it, train on it, uh, share it widely internally and externally. Um, second, I think you need to map your values to your money. You're probably doing it anyway, but it helps to use your resources better if there's a, this is how you qualify opportunity. Uh, these are the three charities we support because it ties closely to our company values. It helps us screen through all the other opportunities. Um, you can then talk about it externally, but it's at first it's internally true and in line with your values. Um, same is clear with giving employees flex time, PTO for volunteer work. Um, just be clear about how much and whom the company supports and why. Uh, the third easy way is to create a contest internally and externally. Uh, one year we did a referral contest, and for every referral, that team was got another Thanksgiving basket to give to the food card. And they were racing to fill out their tally. They were competing against each other in the best possible way and toward a cause they believed in. Um, that was really effective in motivating them in a way that was really true to values for us. Also, this does not need to come from top down. I would crowdsource this. Um, we have a pro bono program. We agree on the selection criteria together. 
how do we score and rank which projects we believe will have the most impact and success in um, which organizations to support. And so they decide that together and that streamlines everything else. Yeah, th there's another question sort of on a few of the sort of the themes you were talking about there and they're saying about they organize their volunteer and team building events, park cleanups, 5Ks, food drives, that sort of thing. And um, they've mentioned that they've had low turnouts in a sort of in their first post-pandemic event, which I guess is to be expected. But um, they're asking for some tips on how you can how they can encourage more more employees to come to events and get involved. Yeah, I think first is understanding what the barriers to coming back are. I I wouldn't want to guess. Everybody's having some trouble coming back to in person, but I don't want to guess why. Um, so I'd survey them. How do they want to meet in person? What are their concerns? Um, and second, I'd broaden your champion base. Um, that sounds like this person takes a lot on themselves, and that's really to be applauded. Um, but they may increase their turnout if they've got some spread out the champions a little bit, get some help with bringing their friends along. Yeah, sounds tiring, doesn't it? Team building events, park cleanups. Yeah. Yeah, just the 5K part made me tired. <laughs> Frankie, if you're listening, a company 5K, I think uh, I think we can get that sorted um, in the future. But yeah, yeah I, I think it's really important what you said about sort of in the post-COVID world, not assuming why people have got um, concerns about coming back to the office. And yeah, a survey is a simple way of finding that out and uh, and then work it, work it out from there. The... The next question is, how can a company know when brand recognition marketing versus product-centered marketing with a bit of branding built in uh, makes sense? What are the sort of the key things that they can think about there? It's a balance. It needs to be both for long-term opportunity and loyalty uh, to keep and grow your customer base. Uh, the timing plays in. If you're brand building in a market it can be particularly important in a new market entry and pre-product launch. You can't quite talk about the new technology yet, um, but you can tell the story of why, where you're innovating, where the company is going, um, build some awareness and loyalty before you can make this critical announcement. You've grown your audience. And then as well as post-launch, um, how can we turn initial customers into fans of the company? The other thing to consider is if you're targeting growing your customer base or account growth. Base, I would do more product promotions for that initial new product purchase, that first purchase. And if you're looking at account growth, it's probably more appropriate to do a more branded message. Sure. Yeah. Really, uh, really good thoughts there. Um, our next question is asking about practical examples or activities that uh, they're, they're effective to communicate a refreshed purpose uh, externally to customers and industry. There was a few questions of, of a similar theme there, so I tried to summarize three or four questions into one. So thank you for those questions and apologies if you don't get the exact answer, but I think I managed to cover it, uh, cover everyone's uh, questions in that one question. There. Um, some of it is why, why are you refreshing your purpose? Um, is it simply you're looking your next three years out? It's time for the next growth stage of the company. Sometimes you see companies have to come back from some bad press, some damage to their brand. Um, that's a different challenge. 
But practically, if you're looking forward and kind of saying where we want to be now in three years, five years, uh, to reposition in the market, um, I start with some the, the vision. What does that look like? What does that feel like to the customer? What does it feel like to the employee? And then identify the metrics. Uh, ESG is more important than ever. What are your sustainability targets? Be as specific as possible. Um, a lot of companies are still in the phase where we want to, the goal this year is to set the commitment. Next year we'll measure it. That's a fine place to be and just be specific. I think percent of budget spent on R&D and innovation compared to your competitors is a meaningful metric if that's your commitment. And then you can take that one step further. Where's your innovation pipeline focused? Is that ultimately a benefit toward um, climate change, um, medical research? You know, what is the human impact? I know it's three or four steps removed for so much of our market, but there is a time. Look for those common threads. What are the themes of which ultimately you're working toward? Because it's just important that your employees' families understand what their family member does for a living and why, and give them a story. Why is what we do important? And then from there, you're looking for those themes in R&D, the impact, telling that story, making announcement, and be as specific as possible. How's this tied to an initiative? And what's that initiative? I'd name it. It could be a campaign, but you can go live on social media at an important conference with that very specific announcement and start to plan around that. What, what would the press release be? What is the event that is tied to this change? If you could start to be specific and event focused around your change in brand promise, it, it starts to get meaningful. It starts to get some meat behind it. Just on the, uh, so going live, the idea of going live on social media at an event, I can uh, imagine people panicking a little bit, thinking they need to have a sort of Hollywood style production, but that's not what you're talking about here, right? No, no. Um, that is iPhone quality, one minute clip to make an announcement. I think it is probably more impactful than the old days of having your local politician over for a ribbon cutting ceremony. Um, <laughs> You will attract a bigger audience, a more qualified audience, um, in a way that people care about. Yeah, but you'd only get the politician if you love your senator, though. That is true. That is true. <laughs> uh, okay, so moving on. So we've had a question asking about marketing more aggressively without diluting the authenticity of their brands. They've basically been developing it over the last eight years. Uh, they want to start marketing more aggressively, but they're they're concerned about diluting authenticity. What do you think about think about that? Yeah, um, I think it's a right concern. We we do want to market more aggressively. We don't want to break the trust of the audience we have by annoying them. Quite frankly, um, so I would focus on new tactics, new channels, without a shift in style or philosophy. It doesn't mean you have to be pushier, more direct, more annoying. Um, you're just trying to be in front of them in a way that reaches them. So you would tell a different story on Instagram than you would on LinkedIn, for very specific example. Um, because on Instagram, 
no one cares about your new technical paper, <laughs> but they may care about your new um, sustainability initiative, like tell the culture story. Um, so I don't, if you're adding channels and messages, you won't have to worry about um, disrupting your usual activities or disrupting your customer. Yeah. How important is that sort of uh, channel knowledge and and the, having people having the experience within your team having the experience on say Instagram or TikTok or whatever it is that you're you're moving into, um, as opposed to someone saying, "Oh, there's this new channel that's just everyone's using. Let's just throw all this stuff we use over here into there as well." There, there is almost no carryover. Unfortunately, I wish there was an easier way. Um, so I think in terms of themes and messages internal, external, there's some efficiencies there, but channel to channel, those are pretty different. Um, what you would talk about on your YouTube channel is different than LinkedIn, is different than Instagram, is different than TikTok. Um, so pick well, don't, don't try to do them all, um, and think how they can feed each other. Yeah. Yeah, the, the don't spread yourself too thinly advice, I think, is absolutely, absolutely crucial because it's very easy as a marketer to be distracted by the latest tech and the, the latest channel that's out there. But if you haven't got the resources, um, you're, you're going to sell, sell yourself short, aren't you? Yeah. Maybe Instagram is only for recruiting, so you only tell a culture story. That is perfectly reasonable. You're only on there because your employees are already on there talking about you. Perfectly yeah. reasonable approach to it. And then your metrics for senior management are sort of recruitment uh, costs, uh, long lifetime span of, of employees, et cetera, et cetera. So there's, there's ways of measuring absolutely everything. And before we move on, just, just a quick note that we have another webinar coming up in a few weeks' time. This is going to be about the state of scientific purchasing. So we've been doing a little bit of research here at AZO, and we're going to be sharing our findings in that webinar. So if you're interested in joining that, you can click on the link that's appearing on your screen uh, screen in the bottom left-hand corner right now. And Michelle, let's move on. So we still got a whole load of questions. We're, good. we're doing okay for time. So let's see see how we how many we can get through. Uh, this is another question about practical examples. They're, they're asking for a showcase. They want to sh showcase the people behind the brand. Um, and particularly, they're interested in promoting the back of house team, which you mentioned a, like a few times in your presentation, which I think is really, really important. So what are some examples of how you can do that? Sure. Um, I have a client who one of their employees ran over their circuit board with his car and use that as a YouTube video. Dumb stunt, but they were making a very specific point. It was the guy's idea. It came very organically through the organization. A lot of traffic and hits on that. Um, so I would say how-to videos, those kind of things are a great way to showcase some of the people who are doing the work. Um, they know the product's best. They know the technology's best. Um, I like meet the team in various formats. Um, customers want to know the person they're working with and they may not have had a chance to meet them live or to break bread or really get to know a person. Uh, so those kind of interviews, whether video or written, do well. Um, and broaden your thought leadership. You know, brainstorm content ideas together. Uh, bring a larger pool uh, because then you're interviewing people who are closer to the technology. 
um, Innovation Spotlight Day, I have a client who has every intern present their projects. They use it internally first, and then sometimes they use it externally. Um, they get a lot of interest in that. Uh, they do the same thing with their entire engineering department. Yeah. I'm going to make a massive generalization here, but if we assume that the back of house team is less comfortable in front of the camera or uh, speaking in public, what are the, some of the ways that sort of leadership, marketing managers, sales leaders can, um, can help or provide resources to help people who are perhaps a little uncomfortable in front of the camera to be more comfortable? You and I mentioned earlier, I may lean toward being an introvert, but talking to you is very comfortable for me. So interview format can be really helpful for some people. Um, that works well. To the same extent, if that isn't something that suits them, that same interview becomes written content. You can do a brief Q&A in social media with their picture, and that's a picture that they bless. It doesn't have to be... Um, a certain standard, um, as long as it's in keeping with your brand, if they're most comfortable with a casual non-posed picture, as long as it suits your standards, um, it's their image. Sure. That should feel authentic. Yeah. Oh, of course, audio is another way you could do that. If the sort of being on camera is, is a stumbling block, recording a Zoom call, putting that out as an audio clip, there's, a, there's another way that you could address that and something we like doing definitely because uh, we just think it's such a great way to communicate with people via podcast or audio on social. So uh, some, some good ideas there, I think. And people are well-spoken when they're confident. So if it's true to their job, their expertise, they surprise themselves. Um, I have a quality assurance leader who's great on video because she had to get used to doing FaceTime facility audits. Um, but that's her, that's her deal. She's, <laughs> this is her area of expertise and she is very confident in it. Yeah. 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 I guess that's a, that's pretty good advice. Just tell them we're going to be talking about what you know the most about. No one listening is probably going to know anywhere near as much as you about this product. So go for it. And, uh, I'm sure that will help with, uh, with the confidence. Talk about environment. So how do you create an environment where you can have just, um, constructive, not destructive, constructive disagreement? So you mentioned in your presentation about the, the need to disagree sort of amicably. How can you create an environment where that's encouraged and people feel comfortable disagreeing? And this is a tricky one. We've struggled with this ourselves. Um, we have really kind, well-meaning people. Um, teaching pushback has been really important. First, you can designate a devil's advocate. In each meeting, we take a rotating turn. You're in charge of devil's advocate today. It's your job to push back. Um, we set the expectation that pushback is value. This is how you provide the client value. We push back internally to make the end product better. Um, and when necessary, we're asking the right questions to push back to get to a better end result with the client. It's our job. This is what's valued here. It's in the orientation back on day one that pushback is required. Uh, it's one of our few rules. Uh, recognize a reward for it. And we have weekly kudos. Everyone goes around and names it. And this is the, one of the rewards that this is one of the activities we need to reward for and recognize. So if we can call out a very specific, specific example of an employee who pushed back for a better end result, 
that's very specific and very visible. Um, personality profiles can be helpful. They give a good segue into why people may struggle with conflict. So it gives a common language around it. Like, oh, us C's really struggle to speak up here, but it, it gives them a language to negotiate with in this. And then this is my least favorite, but it has really worked. Um, role playing. This is I, I hate to role play, um, <laughs> but our last corporate retreat had a three hour workshop on this because it was one of the things that was necessary. Um, and I have heard from every employee multiple times that it was the most valuable thing they did to share. That's interesting. Yeah. With the um with the devil's advocate idea, are you assigning that person and then telling everyone else in the room, or are you letting them be an anonymous devil's advocate and then people get comfortable with there being a person in the room who they weren't expecting maybe to start disagreements, starting disagreements? That would be an interesting psychological experiment, and I would love to try it. Um, but we <laughs> name it just like we would a timekeeper. Sarah, keep me on the sun time. Marry your devil's advocate today. Um, if you're not here and push back, that's your job today. Oh, cool. oh, that's interesting. Uh, definitely something I'm sure people watching can can try out pretty much straight away. There's nothing uh, nothing uh, I can think of that would would stop people. A uh, few more questions. So, at the at the start of the presentation, you posed the question about whether culture can be your most valuable asset. So, would you say for yourself at Launch Team that that it is? It is. This is a services business. It's a people centric model of people, technology, process. We're people in technology all day long. Um, it's the only asset there is to the company. Um, and the one thing really necessary for us to be good at in order to scale. Um, otherwise, you cap yourself out. If you have a few key people that everyone comes to. Um, we're really geared for long-term relationships with clients, long tenure with employees, um, and in today's job market, if you can keep and continually develop an employee for four, five, seven years, uh, you've got something. You've got that shorthand, that collaboration, um, and, and they're striving to be continuously better than they have a reason to stay and you want them to stay. Um, we're really clear in our core capabilities that we hire for and reward for. For us, those are ability to deal with ambiguity, customer fo focus and action. And I know those sound really specific, but they map to the questions we hire for, um, what we include on their performance review. Um, it's how we, what we're talking about when we talk about culture. Um, and it's given us this baseline for change. You know, we went into the pandemic and everybody suddenly moved home bringing them back. It's, it's a lot of change, but they have a means of working together toward an outcome when no one can see them working, um, when everything else changes. So would it be fair to say that a lot of that is that's coming from you as your position uh, as a leader? So how, how what's the sort of balance between bottom-up, top-down when it comes to branding and culture? It's my job to set it and to talk about it. Um, but the real reinforcement happens at every level. They'll call each other out on it. Um, they'll refer to it when we talk about hiring a new employee or um, 
you know, who should be moved into a new role. So I think it's both. Um, it happens at every level of the organization. Um, it's leadership to find those pockets of excellence and then decide how to turn that into a forward-looking vision. The culture happens whether you're looking or not. It's just the change comes sort of bottom-up and top-down. There's, there's a really interesting question here about uh, understanding your prospects culture. And they're basically asking, um, what do we need to know about their prospects culture so that we can take action in presenting our brands to them? What are your thoughts on that? That is a good question. Um, I really don't think that you're looking to match your culture and brand to them, try to be something you're not. Um, it's a more of a matter of qualifying for whether it's a fit, um, whether we're a good fit and how do we identify that? How do we target? Um, it is as much about the individual as it is about the company uh, for that 80-20 rule. Um, for the company, is it a good fit? Um, it's how you, how you qualify whether that is a prospect or not. Uh, do they value the same things? Are your cultural styles and philosophies similar enough? Um, there are something, some companies and some cultures that are kind of rampant in certain industries that I know are not a good fit for us. Um, FinTech, some other small slices that they can, whether it's maturity of the market or the type of people they attract, the narrowness of people, um, they may not value who we are or what we do. And so even if we try to meet their expectations, we will fail in service. Um, there are companies that expect a company like ours to sort of bring the entourage, uh, that it's, I had a prospect tell me outright that they um, were looking, they were going to work with an agency with a really big building. And, and that was great truth. Um, and very clear, I didn't, I'm not going to buy a building to suit them. <laughs> so um, it's a great qualifier. It helps you focus your energy. Um, whereas you will work with some other companies, even without knowing the people, like, oh, we believe in the same thing. We are going after the same vision. We probably would serve each other well. Um, on an individual level, do your customer persona and do it by segment. And if that segment, that persona does not value who you are, you're not a match on values and philosophy, um, then maybe look at a different job title, a different entry point to the organization. Um, you'll see some surprising, when you start to study it, some surprising trends in the foundations they follow, um, the causes they support. You can learn an awful lot about that segment. And you're not trying to be that. Uh, you're just looking for those segments that you, as a company, really resonate with, you gel with. Yeah. This next one sounds like they're having a few sort of internal challenges because they're basically talking about uh, an old, they basically, it sounds like they've changed their brand name a few years ago and people internally are still uh, sort of adhering to the old brand and maybe the values that went with the old brand. Any tips for how how that person can encourage the team to get on board with uh, with what they're planning now? 
Oh, that's, they're not alone in that. I've had to pry old fleece jackets with old logos out of people's hands years after the fact. Um, they, it's about providing new value and a good purge. You have to purge all the old um, brand and messaging and, and really clean house a bit, but then give them something new to be excited about in your brand toolkit, something new that's fun or a real productivity saver um, that will make them look at the rest of the tools and embrace those. Um, if it's swag, employee gear, um, in order to get rid of the old stuff, you're going to have to meet their needs and then some. The replacement fleece jacket and something that else that would really spark some interest. So it's it's not an easy challenge. It takes a lot of consistent correction, hmm. you know, on clarity of the message, standardization of brand. Um, it's not an enviable challenge. It takes a, a lot of reinforcement. Yeah, um, I hope that helps if that was your question, but it does sound like you're, you're not alone. So uh, keep stick at it, and I'm sure it will. Uh, I'm sure it will come through in the end. Uh, just three more uh, questions, Michelle, and then we'll wrap things up. So we're getting fairly close to the hour. Um, you mentioned in the presentation about leaders coming from a different place to their to their employees. So is there a way? So you're obviously the leader of your team. Is there a way that you can help your employees understand where you're coming from? As much as 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 important it is for you to understand where they're coming from, what can you do vice versa? Um, leaders tend to love change, uh, have a higher tolerance for risk, think about money differently than the majority of the organization. Uh, the people who are most resistant to change um, are the people that keep the wheels on the bus. You value them because they're process-oriented, consistent, reliable, and geared toward compliance. Um, you need to bring them along. Um, so I think first is just recognizing the difference um, and being truthful about that. And I think my employees laugh a little bit. I'm like, I love change. <laughs> um, we can laugh about that difference. Um, but then turn the focus to what's it mean to them? Um, what are their concerns? It doesn't, they don't, they can understand where I'm coming from, but they're much more concerned about where they're coming from. So it is worth my time to explore that um, and to make sure that I am telling the story and laying out the action plan in their terms. Sure. Yeah, um, this one's asking about scientific products and the tendency, general to generally to sell scientific products based on features, attributes, and ben um, and benefits to the customer. How to change the culture to selling these on based on value, and how do you define the value of a of a scientific product? Yeah, um, we're smart people who work with other smart people. Sometimes I just think we don't feel like we have to spell it out but it makes it that much more powerful. So I need them to take a step back for a minute and think like a three-year-old. Why, why, why? Um, here's the spec, but why does anyone care? What is the end outcome of that? Um, sometimes we talk about performance that leads to throughput, but even then, what, what does increased throughput mean? 
you know, is that ability to scale? Is that um, hitting deadlines? What is that? Um, you're looking for the next three steps. Um, so you can be much clearer in your payoff. Um, you can tie it to mm, financial targets, to risk reduction, and, you know, something that has meaning to both your technical buyer, scientific buyer, but also the purchasing that they need to get through. Um, you've got multiple business decision makers, if that helps you to tell a more value-focused story, um, broaden your audience a bit. Perfect. Uh, one final question, but just before I ask that, Michelle, just to draw everyone's attention once again to the the handout section. If you uh, if you want to have a look at the ebook that Michelle was discussing earlier uh, and understand a bit more about the research she's been doing, then do download that uh, and uh, and check it out for yourselves. There are also plenty of other resources within there that can support you with your marketing. I've just popped up on the screen uh, another call to action. We are coming towards the end of our financial year here at Azo, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of good offers on on the table for for anyone who's interested in learning a bit more about our solutions. Just click on that link there, and it will take you to a page where you can contact the team uh, and take the conversation from there. Michelle, final question before we wrap things up: uh, What are your top three tips to unleash company culture? Hmm. Good question. Um, one. I think decide what you're not very clearly. It's more important to decide what you're not than what you are. Um, it'll crisp it up very much. Uh, take a look at your star performers. What makes them great? What are the commonalities? What do you want to build upon? And then let your own people define the culture. Um, I use tricks like company in three words, or even, and this is silly, but it works, if we were a vehicle, what would we be? People can articulate in those kind of questions. So you're looking for themes, and then you test it to see, is this what the market values, is it what your customer values, and where do you want to go from here? What do you want to build on, and what do you want less of? Michelle, like I said at the start, this is a big old topic, and I'm sure we could talk about it for hours. Uh, but thank you so much for sharing your expertise with with myself and the audience for the last hour. Uh, I really would encourage everyone to download that ebook if you haven't done already. Uh, there's lots of really great stuff in there, so please do download that. A big thank you to Michelle for sharing her time and expertise with us all today. If you've enjoyed listening, then please think about leaving a review on your podcast provider sharing the episode on social media or with a colleague that you think will enjoy listening to it. This podcast was edited by Sara Lopez-Segura and Rebecca Turpin and brought to you by Azo Network. I'll be back again soon with more special guests for the marketing science community. We hope you can join us then. And until next time, take care and thanks for listening.